Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the third part of our series called Jesus is whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. It says this in verse 33. It says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Come on, someone. No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we were made more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all creation. Someone shout all. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Thank you so much, worship team. Hey, thank you guys so much. You can take a seat. So glad you could be here this morning. Uh, if you missed it, my name's Harrison. I'm the pastor here, Church Online. Hey, we love you guys. So glad you could tune in this morning. We are in uh, the third part now, the third week of a series here at church that we are calling Jesus is Blank. Can you just make some noise if you've heard, seen anything from this series? So good. So what we're doing in this series is so simple. All we're doing is we're filling in the blank. We're filling in the blank just to talk about characteristics of who Jesus is. What is he like? And so if you're with us week one, we found out that Jesus is God. Come on, somebody. I know it might sound crazy, but we actually just believe Jesus, this man that was on earth, happens to be God. He is the picture. He is the exact representation. If you're with us last week, my gosh, uh, I hope that touched you. It touched me. Uh, We looked at the idea that Jesus is love. Jesus is love. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to fill in uh, the blank week three with another uh, characteristic of Jesus, something that's super important. Uh, I want to talk about the idea that Jesus is faithful. Jesus is faithful. Now, Uh, I want you guys to think of the word faithful, and I want you guys to just think for a moment what comes to your head uh, when you think of that word faithful. Now, for me, when I think of the word faithful, uh, I think of my good friend, Benton. Uh, Now, we got to go back. This is a number of years ago, but uh, when I was in in university, this was in Lacombe, Alberta, I used to have an internship um, up here uh, in St. Albert. And so what I would do is I would drive uh, up here pretty much most weekends. And uh, what you guys need to know is that back in those days, the good old days, I drove a beautiful car. Uh, I drove a beautiful 2001 Saturn S series, silver you need to understand something. It was not two doors. It was not four doors. It's three doors. Beautiful car, beautiful make, beautiful model. And so uh, I have a lot of memories of driving uh, up here uh, on weekends. And for whatever reason, it seemed like whenever I would drive here, it'd be like snowstorm blizzards. And so I, I came up for my ministry internship. And I'll never forget uh, my friend uh, Benton. He came up with me. Now, you need to understand, Benton is a man of God. He's a gentleman, but he's also a big man of God. 
like I'm talking six, like four, six, five, 280, 290, 300 on a good day. Like he's, he's a big man, God. And so we drive up in my, in my 2001 silver uh, Saturn and uh, Benton being the gentleman he was, uh, he would never let my then girlfriend, Christy, uh, he would never let her sit in the back seat. And so he always offered to sit in the back seat. Now what you need to understand is that Benton did not fit in the front seat. And he sure as heck did not fit in the back seat. But, like, he, he'd squeeze back there because he's like, no, no, no. Like, she's got to sit in the front. And uh, I was like, okay. Now, that was problem number one. Problem number two, which was the much bigger problem, is that when it was really cold outside, uh, my Saturn had some issues. Now, the issues was not the heat. The issues was the defrost. And so when it got to a certain point, uh, when you put the defrost on, it would kind of just blow lukewarm air, almost cold air. Now, I remember these days, and it was like literally minus 20, these cold Alberta winters. And so um, we had to defrost the car. And so that's really, really cold. And uh, the issue was when the, when the defrost was done, we put the heat on. But because there's three of us in this small car, and Benton takes up a lot of breath himself, uh, we would literally, like after 30 seconds, like we would fog the whole car up. And so then we had to put the defrost on, but the defrost was freezing. And so I remember these trips up. We were literally like frozen. Like it was so, so cold. Christy had a blanket on the whole time and uh, so cold. And so we made the trip and it was quite hellish. Not going to lie. And so I remember the next week uh, I went to Benton and I was kind of almost half joking. I was like, hey, like we're going back up to Edmonton. Like, do you want to come? And I'm assuming he's going to say no. And uh, he's like, "Eh, sure, why not? And so literally week after week, he would always drive up with us. And so Christy and I, we had this saying, we would always say, man, Benton is faithful. We said, man, he is faithful. Like through thick and thin, he is with us. Now, I don't know what picture came to your mind uh, when I said the word faithful. But one thing I've realized in, all, in our culture, in our society today, faithfulness, faithfulness is actually something that's becoming foreign. And I wonder if when I said that word for a lot of us, it's like, I don't really know if I have a picture of faithfulness. Because it's like my parents aren't together, my grandparents aren't, my great-grandparents. Maybe for some of us, when we thought of faithfulness, it's like my dog. Like, my dog is faithful. Like, buddy is there through thick and thin. Some of us, maybe you thought of your cat. Just stop. (laughs) Don't get me started on cats. But, but it's interesting because we, we kind of live in this time where faithfulness is foreign. In other words, it's not something that we necessarily see every single day. And so when we say Jesus is faithful, it can be hard for us to actually picture what that means. You see, there's been a shift in our society. Uh, in Canada, the average marriage lasts for eight years. Which, uh, sorry, I should say 14 years. Come on, somebody. In the U.S., it's eight. So we kind of got them there a little bit. But but one big shift we've seen in the workplace, statistics tell us that the average person will only stay at their job for four years. That's like a big shift, right? Because like 20 years ago, it's like you worked to a place until you retired or you died. And so so there's like this this change, there's this shift. I I watched this video of Kobe Bryant's last basketball game. And uh, in it, Jeannie Buss, the owner, uh, she gave Kobe a ring. And she said, Kobe, thank you for 20 years with the Lakers. And she said something. She said, I don't think we'll ever see something like this again. That wasn't a shot at LeBron, but no basketball fans here. That's all right. Where's Andreo? Thought one person would say something. Um, 
But what she's saying is she's saying people don't stay around for a long time, right? Like people are constantly coming and going. And so when I say that God is faithful, when I say Jesus is faithful, I actually believe this characteristic of Jesus can actually change everything in our lives. When we understand the faithfulness of Jesus. But I want to preach this message not only to show what the faithfulness of Jesus actually is, but, but, but for some of us that have a poor picture of what faithfulness looks like, I want to paint the proper picture. Because that is who Jesus is. Jesus is faithful. Is anyone ready to go this morning? So what I want to do, I'm going to be in the book of Romans chapter 8. If you're new to church, that's found in the New Testament. Bible's broken to two testaments, old and new. So simple. And so Romans is found in the New Testament after the time of Jesus. Now, I believe this idea that Jesus is faithful is found throughout the whole Bible. And so I'm actually going to be going to a few places, like back and forth, Old Testament, New Testament, because God is faithful throughout. That's who he is. It wasn't like one day he became faithful from beginning to end. So I'm going to be in Romans chapter 8, but I'm also going to be jumping around. So before we read anything, this is what we read off the top. I'm going to give us a little context of what's going on. So the specific issue in Romans chapter 8 that Paul is writing to address is basically the issue of this. Where do I stand with God? Where, Where do I stand? You see, for a lot of people, when it comes to God, whether they've been in church or they're not in church at all, a lot of us have this thing where it's like, man, I don't actually know what God thinks about me. Have any of you guys ever been in a situation or a relationship where you're not sure what the person feels about you? Anyone been on Snapchat before? Come on, somebody. And like, they've sent you that selfie, and it's like the dog face selfie, but it's like, I don't know if I'm the only one they're sending that selfie to. So it's like, I think they like me, but I don't know if they actually, anyone, anyone ever had a relationship where they don't know where they stand? It's not a great feeling. And so when it comes to God, for a lot of people, and this is if they have made decisions to follow Jesus or otherwise, they still struggle. It's like, man, where do I stand with God? How does God see me? And so this is the issue that he's trying to address. How does God see me? How does God look at me? You see, for a lot of people, we already have this assumption that if God is looking at me, if God knows who I am, I don't think he would approve of me. Because like, you need to understand, like, I'm not that good of a person. Like, I'm impatient. I lie sometimes. Like, I'm, like I, don't, I, I don't know what God would think about me. I don't even think that he likes me. This is the issue that Paul's addressing. And so in Romans 8.31, he says, well, what then should we say in response to these things? If you don't feel like it, if your life doesn't look like it, what should we say? He says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So what he's saying is this. Here's what you need to understand. The natural inclination of God is that God is for you. God is for you. That's opposite from how a lot of us think. We think, I don't think God loves me, but God is for me. And it's like, okay, Harrison, you can tell me that until until you're blue in the face, but I just don't feel it. How do I know that God is for me? How do I know what this looks like? He says, simple. He says, God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So what he's saying, he's saying, you want to know how God is for you? Do you want to know the tangible evidence, the proof? It's Jesus. He says, it's Jesus. If you want to know how God felt about you, God loved you so much that he was not going to keep you where you were, lost in sin and shame. He sent Jesus. He sent his son. 
which we learned in week one, is God in the flesh. He said, I'm going to come down and take care of this myself. You want to know how I feel about you? Do you want to know how you can know that I'm for you? He sent Jesus. And so every single time we have these doubts, every single time we have these moments, like I don't know where I stand, he's saying, look to Jesus. That's the proof. That, that's the evidence. Listen, uh, like two weeks ago, uh, we moved. And we moved all of our stuff for free. My favorite words in the world. <laughs> and uh, the reason that we moved for free is because we have amazing family. We have amazing friends uh, in this church. I think everyone in this church. Um, only in this church. I don't have friends outside of church. Um, <laughs> you guys are part of our church. We're one big family. Um, but we moved for free, and the reason was because so many people offered their time. Uh, they offered, like, literally resources, trucks, all these things to help us move. And so if I ever have a moment, because it's easy, right? Like, in ministry, you can be like, ah, oh, I'm alone. Like, I don't know what people think about me. I don't know if they actually like me. Like, you look to those moments, right? It's like, this is the proof. This is how I know. Andrell, man, he told me, like, four weeks before, he's like, I hate moving. I will not help you move. He was there. Come on, somebody. He was there. And so if I doubt, it's like I look to the proof. And so anytime, because a lot of us, we have this voice in our head. Maybe you've been there. It's like, I don't think I'm enough. I don't think God loves me. I don't know where I stand. He says, every single time you have that doubt, you remember Jesus. You remember his sacrifice because he died for you. It's the proof. So he says, who then, come on, will bring any charges against those whom God has chosen? In other words, if Jesus has come, who can say anything against you? Listen, whether it's a person, whether it's a pastor, whether it's that voice in your head, no one can say anything because God has chosen you. And here's the part I want us to see because this is where we need the big shift. He says, it is God who justifies it is God who justifies. Now, the word justify, it literally just means to make right. To make right. God makes you right. Now, this is going to be a big shift. Because for a lot of us, we have this idea. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I thought I was the person that makes me right. Like, I, I thought God accepted me based on my behavior, based on how well I acted. I thought it was me. He says, no, no, no. He said, it's God who justifies. So here's the thing I want us to understand about faithfulness. Because I want you to show you that Jesus is faithful. You can write this down. Faithfulness is not about me. Faithfulness is not about me. It's God who justifies. Now, this is going to be really hard because we live in a performance culture, right? It's the culture that's like, hey, well, my worth is based on how much I make or my worth is based on what people think about me, how many likes I get on Instagram, how many shares I get on my posts. That's where my worth is found. For some people, it's marriage, right? You've heard this one. It's like, well, marriage is 50-50. And so, like, that person wasn't putting in their 50, so I didn't put in my 50. If Pastor Christie was teaching, she'd tell you marriage is 100-100. Come on, somebody. But we'll, uh, we'll see you guys in February. Um, but it's this idea, right? Like, you only, you only get what you give. That's how we measure our relationships. Like, I only get what I give. And so, for so many of us, we bring this to Jesus, right? And, and I'm going to be honest. When we measure ourselves up to God, when we measure ourselves up to Jesus, who is perfect... I don't care who you are, but you're going to fall short. 
So, so listen, you need to understand this, and I think this will help you view the faithfulness of God. We can't view Jesus' faithfulness, faithfulness <laughs> through the lens of our faithfulness. We can't view Jesus' faithfulness through the lens of our faithfulness. Because if you're basing it on how good you are or how patient you were or how nice you were or how many times I went to church in the last fiscal year, you will fall short. But, but it's not about me. Faithfulness is not about me. God's feeling towards me is not based on my performance. I need to drill that home because I think there are people, whether you've been in church for a long time or whether you've no, you have no history in church, you still have the presupposition that says God accepts me based on my behavior. That's a lie. It's God who justifies. It's God who, it's God who makes you right. So he says, who then is the one who condemns? If that's true, who can condemn you? He says, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. This is so good. Let me tell you guys something about God, about Jesus. Jesus is perfect. God is perfect. He is without fault. You're not. It's pretty simple. But, but there's, a, there's a dilemma. Because if God is perfect, if God is without blemish, without sin, whatever you want to say, that means it would take a perfect person to come into his presence. It would take a perfect person to, to attain salvation. And so what he's saying, he's saying the beauty of Jesus is that Jesus is that perfect person. He's interceding. In other words, when, when, when the scales are brought against us, guess what? You're bad. But Jesus brings the scale down. And, and he's interceding on your behalf. In other words, he says, okay, did they accept me? Yes, they did. Saved, justified, righteous. Can I explain it? It's like this. My siblings, mostly my brother, uh, we argued a lot um, about stuff because he's usually wrong. And uh, it's funny. Like my mom has this thing where like whoever's losing the argument, my brother, um, no matter like how out of whack whatever he's saying is, like my mom will take the loser's side. Right and like start like just pumping their tires, saying, "Oh, that is, I know that is a good point." Like no matter, listen this. No matter what, no matter how wrong they are, my mom will step in and intercede, even though they are dead wrong. <laughs> Can I tell you something about Jesus? The Bible says that while we were dead in our sins, Christ died for us. And so that means the scale was weighed against you. It's, and understand this. When we come to Jesus, and I don't want you to be confused, God begins to refine us, right? Like God begins to change us. And so if you're following Jesus but nothing's changing, I'd probably say you're probably not following Jesus. But when I follow Jesus and as I begin to change, as much as I change, I'm still kind of bad. And that's where the Bible says Jesus intercedes on our behalf. He said, well, I died for them. I paid the price for them. God is holy. Jesus refines me, but I'm still messed up. This is why I speak so much about cancel culture and why I'm really not for it. Because cancel culture says when you mess up once, this is the end, right? Cancel them, get rid of them, shun them, goodbye. Now, understand this. I do know that there are consequences for our actions, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be. But what, what cancel culture, the thing I don't like about it, is what it says is like, hey, if you messed up once, you're done forever. 
which to me is kind of like the opposite of Jesus. Because I think of my life, and I'm going to be honest, because like I've heard like there are literally, and this is usually for famous people. I'm not quite there yet. Um, <laughs> but like there are literally people that are hired to go back and like look up stuff. Like, hey, look at every tweet. Look at every Facebook post. Look at every, find something about this person so we can cancel them. Listen, I'm going to be honest. Like, <laughs> I got Facebook when I was like grade eight. If someone were to go back, they'll probably find some things about me. And so what now they're saying is like, hey, make sure, like, go back and delete everything, right? Get rid of your past. You don't want to be exposed. You know what? I'm going to keep some stuff there. I'm, I'm going to keep it there. And if they find it, I'll apologize because I'm sorry. But I also never want to forget where I was when Jesus found me. I also never want to forget who I was. Because it's a reminder that Jesus found me there. And instead of canceling me, Jesus redeemed me. That's who he is. Who then can condemn? Bible says no one. It's no one. Jesus is. Now, now for some of us, it's like, I, I get that. Like, I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying. But you need to understand, Harrison, like, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying. Like, I'm not good enough. I watched The Bachelorette last week. Like, I'm just, <laughs> like, I'm trying my best. But, like, no matter what happens, because you guys have ever been there, like, you've heard all this before. But it's like something, I just, I can't, I can't grasp it. I don't, I don't feel like I'm enough. There's no way, because if it's like a relationship, like if I treated God how it was a person, like he, he would have left me. I, I love 2 Timothy chapter 2 because it's a promise. This is Paul speaking again. He says this, he says in verse 13, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because faithfulness isn't about me. But here's the thing I want us to see, because this is really the best part about it. He says, for he cannot disown himself. What does that mean? He cannot disown himself. Paul here is actually alluding to an Old Testament passage found in Exodus chapter 34. I told you we're jumping a little bit. Now, in Exodus chapter 34, God appears to a man named Moses. And Moses basically asks God a question. He says, who are you? Describe yourself to me. And in Exodus 34, it says this, it says, as he passed God in front of Moses, he said, this is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. So, so understand something. Jesus, God, they are absolute. So listen, like, I'm funny. You guys know that, right? But like, I'm not always funny. Like, I'm patient, but I'm not always patient. I'm kind, but I'm not always kind. Some would be like, really? Um, but when God is describing his character, he is absolute. So when it says that he is abounding in love, when he is faithful, that you can take it to the bank. It's not I hope God is faithful. It's I know God is faithful because that is who he is. It's in his nature. It's in his character. It's in his DNA. So Paul says he actually can't disown himself. He can't act contrary to his nature. He wants to be faithful towards you. He sees you sometimes like, I want to slap that person, but he's, he's faithful. Because that, that's who he is. It's in his DNA. And I'll explain it like this. The word that he uses, and I use this word when I marry people, because it's used to describe the very first marriage in the Bible between Adam and Eve. But God uses it here to describe himself. And it's the Hebrew word hesed. And I'm teaching for a bit and flexing on you guys that I know Hebrew a little bit. Um, 
But when it says God is faithful, it's saying God is hesed. That's the original word. Now, what you need to understand is when we translate the Bible from, from Hebrew to English, we just kind of use the best words we have. And when it comes to hesed, faithful is the best word we have. But like, it doesn't even do it justice to what God is talking about when he talks about who he is. When it says that God is his said, more than faithful, more than even anything, it's, it's literally this word that's a covenant promise. And you need to understand when God makes a covenant, it's like a contract, but it's, 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 the difference is it cannot be broken. God will not break it. And so when God makes a covenant, he does not break it. He is faithful to it to the end. And that's the word he uses when he describes his faithfulness. It's not fleeting. Now, I said that I described it like a marriage because that's the word that God says to Adam and Eve. He says, your marriage should be like hesed, right? Like you're making a covenant. This is why for people when it's like, I don't want to get married. I don't need a piece of paper. Like I agree, but like that's not what marriage is, right? And if you want to go to the justice of the peace and get a piece of paper, I would say, yeah, I kind of agree with you. But if you want to enter into a covenant marriage that, that, that God has ordained and God has described, he says, it's, it's like a hesed. You're entering into a covenant where it's not based on feelings. It's not based on behavior. It's based on a promise that does not end. Now, now for some of us, it can be hard because it's like, well, wait a second. Like, I've seen marriages break around me. Like, I've seen Christian marriages break around me. Well, you need to understand that the Bible does uh, give provision if someone breaks the covenant in marriage. Breaks the hesed. There's, There's examples that you can separate. But but here's where God shifts. I need us to understand this. In the covenant that God makes with us, we can break the covenant towards him, but God will not break it towards us. He is faithful. That's what Paul's saying. He is faithful when we are faithless. He's He's not going anywhere. Can I tell you that, church? I need to, 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 to break the lie. I need to break the chain that someone has in their life that says, I'm too far gone. I'm not good enough. God could not accept me. Understand, it's in his very DNA. It's who he is. He is faithful when we are faithless. Listen, in the same breath, I need to break a chain that says my acceptance is based on my good works. It's based on following laws, based on following rules, it's based on uh, any of these things where I can find myself righteous. That's a lie. It's not based on your righteousness, but righteousness found in Jesus. He is faithful when we are faithless. He is said. Now, I want to, to, to finish this message. I want to give a very practical um, example, a practical story found in the Old Testament um, about the love of God, the love of Jesus and more so the faithfulness of Jesus. So we're going to be in an Old Testament book um, called Hosea chapter 3. And uh, if Prince is around, I'd love for him to be up here with me. But in Hosea chapter 3, the Bible tells a story of a man named Hosea. Uh, he's the author of the book. And uh, the Bible says that Hosea has a wife named Gomer. And him and his wife have three kids. They have a family. And what the Bible lets us know is that they had this family, but before they ever had a family, uh, Gomer, the wife, she had a past. She used to sell her body. She she was caught in uh, prostitution. But what happens is that Hosea finds her, Hosea marries her, and everything appears to turn around. She's found this covenant love. So the Bible says they have a family, they have three kids, everything is going amazing until something happens. 
The Bible tells us that, Jose, that, that Gomer, the wife, she goes back to her old life. And she leaves Hosea. She leaves her three kids. She leaves everything to go back to the life that she once lived, the life of prostitution, the life of uh, promos... Can't even say the word. That's the word. I'm not going to try it. I can, I can say it in my head, but... She goes back to that life. And then it seems weird, right? Like, how, how could you leave that life and find a husband and find kids and, and experience that love, experience that, that, that goodness? How could you experience all of that and then go back? How could you go back? But I think what happens for so many of us is that it's really hard to accept grace that sometimes we go back. And I can't help but wonder if every single day Gomer looked at her husband and she said, how could he love me? Like he knows my past, he knows what I've done. And so day after day, the shame builds until eventually she leaves and she goes back to her old life. And this is where we pick up our story. And what happens is God speaks to Hosea. In Hosea chapter three, verse one, the Lord, he says, the Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man as, and is an adulteress. God says, Hosea, go and get your wife. Go and get your wife and show love to her. I can imagine Hosea in this moment. What? She left. She went back to that old life. She abandoned her family. She abandoned me. I can't even imagine what she's doing. I can't imagine what she even looks like. He says, go back and show love to her. Why? He says, love her as the Lord loved the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. He says, Jose, he says, the reason you're going to go love her he says, go and love her so the people can experience what the love of God looks like. Hosea, go and find your wife. And so the Bible doesn't give us this scene exactly, but I can imagine it. Hosea goes and he finds his wife and we don't know where she is. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what that scene was like. Maybe it was dirty. Maybe it was dark. Maybe it was dingy. But Gomer has gone back to her old life. And Hosea meets her there, and I can imagine the whole time, he's like, why am I here? Like, what am I doing? This is dirty. This is disgusting. She laughed. But that boy says, love her like I loved you. Love her like I love the Israelites. It's dark. It's dirty. It's dingy. Love her like God loves the Israelites because God will go to the darkest places. God will go to the dingiest places to find you. I need you to understand, I need to remind you, there are people in this room that you were so nice when God found you. But he came there anyways. And so the Bible says this in verse two, Hosea says, so I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and 430 pounds of barley. Now this is really interesting because Hosea now is buying his wife. He's buying that which is already his. And so I can imagine this scene, Hosea goes and he sees his wife Gomer and Gomer's there and maybe she's naked, maybe she's chained. We don't know what it would have looked like. But there's this dude there, he's a pimp, whatever you want to call him. And Hosea goes there and he says, hey, I'm here for my wife. That's my wife. 
Man, it's like, I don't really care who you think this is. This is what her rate is. This is what it costs. And, and Hosea's like, well, that's, that's my wife. But that, that, that thing, that voice says, love her as the Lord loves your people. And I hope someone has seen the foreshadow. I hope someone sees where I'm going. And so the Bible says that Gomer was bought back by Hosea. Hosea paid for that which was already his. So he says, what's the price? And he pays the price, 15 shekels of silver and 430 pounds of barley. Now this is a prophetic moment because it's foreshadowing something. I need you to understand, church, the Bible says that because of our sin, we have been separated from God. We have been separated by the God that created us. We are separated from the one that owns us. But what God did is the same thing that we see in this story. God went to those dirty and those low places. And God on the cross in the form of Jesus took on our sin. He took on our shame and he paid the price. He bought back what was already his. And I wonder if Paul was thinking of this story thinking about Jesus when he penned these words. He's like, man, that's why I'm convinced. I'm convinced nothing can change my mind. I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth or anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. I'm convinced it's signed, sealed, delivered. Let's just stand for a moment, church. Right here, right now, I believe this is a holy moment for people in this room. I believe that God's speaking to your heart, and maybe you've never accepted Jesus before. And you're saying, "Man, I didn't know that was God. I didn't know how God felt about me." And so today, you want to come home, or maybe you're someone that you've accepted Jesus. You've been coming to church for a long, long time, but no matter what you feel, no matter what anyone says, it's like, I don't, I don't think I'm enough. This appeal is for both groups to come to the Jesus that will meet us in the lowest places, the darkest places that is so faithful that nothing can separate it from his love. We want to give you the chance to respond right here, right now in this space. And so all we ask you to do is just raise your hand. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. He said, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to accept him. I'm just going to count backwards from three. And when you raise your hand, you're saying, I'm inviting Jesus into my life. I want to accept him as Lord and Savior. When I count down, just show me your hand. In three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you want more information, if you made a decision to follow Jesus, head over to kingdomchurch.ca and fill out a connect card. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.